Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Emmy Vadness. Our topic today is love, relationships, and the afterlife. My guest is Lauren Robertson, who is author of Medium and Manolo's, a life-affirming guide to modern mediumship. Lauren is a spirit communicator, transformational coach, and speaker. As a psychic medium, she helps people explore their spirituality and overcome difficult emotions to live freer and happier lives. Lauren studied philosophy and literature at the University of Glasgow in Scotland. Lauren is based in Glasgow, and now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, Lauren. It's such a great joy to be with you today. Thanks so much for having me, Emmy. It's lovely to see you. You have been developing your psychic medium skills for a number of years, even all the way back to being a teenager, and you even grew up in a spiritualist church. Can you share a little bit about what led you to become a medium? Sure. So my mum is actually a medium as well. Um, they say it runs in families. There's some research to suggest so. And there's definitely something in the water in Scotland as well. There's a very high concentration of mediums up here. So spiritualist churches definitely did play a part in my early development insofar as my mum and I used to go to spiritualist churches together. And of course, because she was interested in it, I was interested in it. And my mum bought me a deck of angel cards when I was 13. And that's really how my exploration of this sort of subject matter, um, you know, mind, body, spirit, new age, whatever you want to call it, this different way of understanding people. That's where it really started. And just in my personality as well, I've always been a really sensitive person. I really, I was a really sensitive child. I've always known, you know, if someone's emotions are up or down or if there's something going on, if there's a vibe that's a bit weird, I've always been able to pick up on that stuff. And I've always had a really great love for people and their stories and what makes a person who they are and, you know, the things that they've been through. So, I think that in terms of my mediumship, it was a really lucky, blessed, fortunate combination of just being born with a, a predisposition to this type of work and also having that early support uh, with my mum as well. So it was definitely a very prominent part of my teenage years. I was quite angsty as a teenager, you know, I liked my black eyeliner and my new metal music and, you know, my gran used to bang on the wall because the music was up too loud and in between all of that stuff and all the teenage angst, I was totally fascinated with everything I could get my hands on about paganism and angel cards and dream interpretation and psychic readings and the mediumship would come a little bit later um, as I made sort of made, made it towards the end of my teenage years sort of about 17 18 was when my mediumship really started with the death of my gran. Not everyone has that experience of having a parent who's a medium or even growing up in a spiritualist church. Could you share a little bit about what that is for people who might not be familiar? 
So a spiritualist church is a place of worship for the religion of spiritualism and spiritualism is founded on seven principles uh, which basically centre around the continued existence of the human spirit <clears throat> excuse me, after death and the relationship between the human spirit and God or our creator if you want to call it that and many of the greatest mediums that have ever lived and are living now have come out of uh, spiritualist churches. In the UK we call it the Spiritualist National Union which is the sort of governing body that most of the big regulated spiritualist churches belong to but then you have independent ones that pop up everywhere as well and um, the worship is really based around this idea that love and the love you share with your friends and family it transcends death and that in fact something about us transcends death and how that's linked to like I say to God to a creator to all that is so definitely going to workshops and different things in spiritualist churches and I remember my first time I ever went to a spiritualist church it was to see a, a medium who actually sadly passed away a couple of weeks ago his name's Ricky Martin no relation to the the Latin Ricky Martin um, and I remember going to see him and it was in this beautiful spiritualist church in Glasgow and the sun was like streaming in through the windows and the congregation was really lovely, a very calm and lovely atmosphere and I didn't really know what to expect and this man's mediumship was just so good. It was so accurate, so consistent, so heartfelt and loving and I remember specifically when I, I went to that church, I must have been about 16 or 17 and he, he went up on stage and he was wearing a kilt like when he went up onto the platform and I just always remember him with his sporing and his kilt on doing his mediumship and it totally captivated me. And when I saw the way that Ricky was able to connect with different members of the audience and the healing that was taking place, you could feel it in the air, you know, it was palpable, the change that people were going through and, and we were like ships, we were all being lifted by this change at once, you know, even if only one person was getting a message, I found that to be tremendously valuable and so whilst I wouldn't say that I'm a full-blown spiritualist myself, I, I don't belong to the spiritualist religion per se. Uh, I definitely owe a great debt of gratitude to the spiritualist churches that would have me, um, both as a member of the congregation and just going there to find that peace within and then later as a medium. So your spirituality has grown since you have been in your spiritualist church? Definitely, yes. Yeah, I think that my interest in analytic philosophy, I studied consciousness at uni amongst other things. And I think my interest in philosophy and consciousness and what it means to be a mind and a self and, you know, the many different facets of our relationship to God or our creator, I just felt as I have about quite a lot of fixed spiritual modalities that the kind of, the, the fixedness of it, the staticness of it wasn't really leaving room to actually look at the more dynamic aspects of well how is how is this belief system going to keep up with the new things that we find out about mind and about self and about the nature of relationships and whether or not we are individuals or maybe we're all part of one sort of human field or even one field of existence and so because I was so interested in philosophy and really, I really wanted to be at the edge of understanding how mediumship is possible and what it means about being human and what it means about reality, I found that the principles that spiritualism and in fact any religion were built on and the fact that they're quite static 
was at odds with me wanting to continue forward in the spirit of curiosity. So for that reason, like I say, I'm very happy to go work at spiritualist churches, but I want the freedom to be able to change my mind, essentially, about what I believe to be true with good evidence. With the death of your gran, your mediumship abilities grew. Can you share a little bit about that experience? Definitely. So my gran Mamie was my uh, father's mother, my gran Robertson. And um, she and I just were like soulmates in a way. You know, she was really one of the most influential people in my life growing up. And the love and the patience and the feeling that she wanted me there and that I was her priority. And, you know, she wanted to do things with me that I wanted to do. And, you know, we used to sit and like listen to the radio and then we would press record and like sing along to the songs. And, you know, we would sit and play Scrabble and cards and stuff. And I just have so, so many happy memories with her. And, you know, there were times in my life where there was a bit of a poverty of, I would say, love and closeness and feeling seen and heard in my life. And my gran at that time was the beacon of what it really is like to be loved to me. So she had a hugely important part of my life and I adored her. I still do. Um, you know, obviously from spirit, we still have a relationship of, of a different kind. And um, unfortunately, she had breast cancer and, you know, she was of a generation where I think she was a bit afraid and a bit worried about what the consequences would be and surgery and different things. So she didn't tell anybody and she kept it to herself for way too long. And so she became unwell to the point that our transition was imminent. So she actually passed away on Valentine's Day when I was 17. And I remember going to her bedside and she wasn't conscious and she was very, very unwell. And I just sat and told her things and we were talking about old times and I was just telling her how much I loved her. And and um, it wouldn't have been perceptible to anyone but me, but she gave my hand a little squeeze and I knew she could hear me, you know, although that's all she could do. She couldn't speak or anything, but she gave my hand a little squeeze. And, you know, I wanted to be there because... Being a teenager, I had a lot of guilt when I realised how ill my gran was, that I hadn't seen her as much in my teenage years as I had in my childhood. But as I mentioned, I was very angsty. I was trying to get through school. I was not feeling like in a lot of ways that I had the support that I needed where I needed it. Um, and so I was off doing my own thing, but I really wanted my gran to know how much I loved her. And um, it's just put me in mind of something, actually. I mean, I'm, I'm sure your listeners will recognise this sort of experience as well. I haven't thought about this in the longest time with my gran, but uh, there was this one time we were watching the snooker and my grandfather, my, my papa Harry, he absolutely loved snooker. And we used to sit and watch it together on a Sunday. And my gran was quite, she was really feminine and quite proper and she never used bad language. And we were just sitting so quietly and she suddenly blurted out, he's not got a snowball's chance in hell of winning this. And it was just the funniest moment. My papa and I just burst out laughing because my gran never usually cares about snooker that much or has much to say about it or uses language like hell. And so it was just the funniest moment. And as I sat by her bedside holding her hand, I remembered this and I was talking to her about it and how much we all laughed. And, and that's when she squeezed my hand like she remembered. And afterwards when she passed away so it was only a day or two after that time that she passed away 
I said to her in my mind, Gran, if you're in spirit and if you're looking out for me, I want you to give me a sign. I want you to get the message to me, a snowball's chance in hell. That's the message I want you to get to me. So that I wanted her to prove it to me that she was there. And many years later, when I was going through a really difficult time, um, I think it was about 2014, I got this uh, audiobook by Bob Proctor called You Were Born Rich. And it was from the 80s and it's like, you know, personal development, wealth consciousness kind of deal. It's, it's absolutely wonderful. You, you should definitely pick it up. Anyway, just completely out of the blue, I was chopping lettuce or something in the kitchen listening to this. And all of a sudden, Bob Proctor said, you've not got a snowball's chance in hell of, you know, and whatever it was he was saying, and the hair on the back of my neck stood up, and I was like, Gran, I knew it was her. I could just feel that it was a sign and a message from her. And, you know, so many things like that have happened in my life. I wrote about one of them in my book, The Medium in Manolo's, about my gran coming to me in a dream, and she just looked so healthy and so beautiful. And she put two fingers on my, my hips, each side of my hips, and she was able to lift me off the ground as if I was weightless. And she told me that I was going to be a medium, that my job was going to be to tell people that death isn't goodbye forever. You know, at that point, I wasn't particularly interested in mediumship. I had been doing my angel card readings. And, you know, I've just really felt that her presence and her love and her influence in my life has been as rich when she's in the spirit world as it was when she was here, even though our physical body is no longer here. And, you know, that's a that's a role in my life that has been so special to me that that's what I hope in some small way to bring to others as well with my mediumship. That's a beautiful story, Lauren. And that's really what mediumship seems to be about. When I was reading your book, what really struck me is how much love and healing you bring to people through your mediumship how those relationships and those bonds continue. Yes, yeah, I do try. And I do definitely feel that there's many roads to mediumship and many different kinds of people are really good mediums for different reasons. But my mediumship specifically is very much about love and friends and family and the, the silly little foibles that make us human and make us who we are and really helping to keep those bonds alive, helping people. You know, I feel like when someone dies close to you, you've got a choice about what you want to do with that information. And you have to do something with it. You know, you've got to face the reality that they're no longer physically with us. And a lot of the time, I think that people think their only choice is to grieve as if that person has said goodbye forever, to terminate and cut off the bond that they had with them and to move on without them, essentially. And while that does seem to be true on one level, my question to my clients and the people that come to my, my demonstrations is just, well, what if that doesn't have to be true on another level? And you have a choice as to whether you want to move forward in your life with, okay, well, they're gone now, that's that, and all of the emotions that go along with that reality, or whether you want to explore the possibility that there's a way in which, even after we die physically, the bonds that we had still very much matter. You know, it still matters that a person in spirit can actively love you and that you can actively love them. And I think that there's something about our consciousness and what it means to be human that makes that very true. You know, it's not just wishful thinking. It's, you know, there's there's a way in which we can still shape after we die the things that are going on in the physical world, especially through the bonds of love. 
And what do you say to people who might be listening and thinking, oh, well, a snowball chance in hell, many people say that phrase, or it, it is just wishful thinking, or you're making all of this up? Yeah, I mean, there are people who will go through their whole life thinking that, and that's fine. You know, that is absolutely fine. But knowing the presence of spirit is a felt experience. It's very much an inside-out experience. It's... It's really the experience of knowing and when it happens to you, no one can take it away from you and yet when it happens to you, you can't explain it to others in a way that makes sense because it's really just about the feeling and so many of those instances of, I guess, what we would call synchronicities have happened in my life and it's really hard when you experience it for yourself and you get that very somatic, tangible, visceral feeling of the hair in the back of your neck standing up and that really strong feeling of presence, like your loved one in spirit is there and they meant it and that was for you. It's really hard to talk yourself out of that, especially when you think of all the coincidences that do happen where it's not accompanied by that feeling. You know, it's not accompanied by that the tingles and the hair standing on end and the wide-eyed wonder and the feeling of awe. I mean, it's really a feeling of being awestruck when it happens. And for me, that is what sets a synchronicity apart from a coincidence. So if you have, you know, if any of your, your viewers or listeners are watching right now and they have a coincidence, you'll know it because it just feels like nothing. It doesn't feel like anything. It just passes you by and most of them are. But if you get that feeling of, oh, that was more than a coincidence, that was meant for me, that, that evokes wonder or awe in me in a way, then that's something that I think should be taken more seriously, even though we don't really understand the mechanism yet as to how a synchronicity like that would work. Carl Jung is a great resource to read up on um, to find out more about those types of synchronicities. Right, because even love or thought, while scientists are still trying to map out where that exists, it really comes down to a feeling or a knowing or your own personal experience. In your book, you do an, an excellent job of sharing with people, inviting them and teaching them how they can become, well, the, how they can communicate with loved ones, first of all. So for those of you who are interested, check out the book. It's a great book if you want to develop your abilities to have a personal communication with a loved one. And then it seems that the book progresses to actually teaching people how to be a medium. I wrote it that way on purpose because there is no evidence like seeing for yourself. You know, a medium can only do so much to show you that your loved ones in spirit are there, but I really believe that most of us who have any sense of compassion or any, any sort of bond with our loved ones in spirit, any sense of imagination or an inner world that understands other people's stories, you know, I guess you would call it empathy. I, I think that most people who have those sorts of qualities could turn their attention towards mediumship and give it a bash and you know get something from it where they think oh my god I didn't know that I had that ability and that I could do that and I really feel strongly that the only way mediumship is going to progress is if we get a critical mass of people who try it themselves who, who see for themselves who don't have to take a given medium's word for it because there's always that gap of doubt you know, however good the evidence is, there's always that space where it's like, well, you know, 
does that really mean what we think it means? Could that person have looked me up on Facebook? You know, yada, yada, that sort of thing. Even if the message is really great. But if you're the one giving the message and you know that you didn't look anybody up and names come to your head that the other person says is correct and you get a really strong feeling of the memories of somebody that you've never thought of before and will never think of again, then it's very hard to refute your own first-hand, first-person experience of that. And so I am a great believer in the principle of see for yourself being the way that mediumship essentially gets taken more seriously. But I do also recognise that people come to mediumship often through pain. So I want them to feel comfortable in developing a transcendent relationship with their own loved ones first uh, so that they can heal that pain. But also because when we work with spirit, if people have been watching too many horror movies or they are really worried about what might lie beyond that they might potentially connect with, I really want people to get out of those worries or out of that way of thinking and into this notion that mediumship is simply the observation of existing relational bonds between people that loved each other very much, if that's what you choose to focus on. And I think the best way of helping people incorporate that into their own spiritual journey and their own curiosity about mediumship is by starting with their own loved ones in spirit. So yes, my invitation, if you read the book, is to see for yourself, is to see whether you can put me out of a job, essentially, because you have such a good bond in a transcendent way with your own loved ones in spirit and then with other people's that you recognize from a first-hand perspective that there's something to this. Yeah, I think one of the greatest gifts of mediumship, whether you're doing it yourself or having somebody like yourself who is kind of being, well, being a medium, you know, inter intermediate helping, is that it can, like you say in the book, restore bonds, help with love, know that that love continues. And when we lose a loved one, even, you know, sometimes it can be sudden and it's very shocking, or even if it's a prolonged illness that we know the person's, I mean, we all know we're all terminal in a certain sense from this earth, it can still be quite shocking and people can go through deep grief and have this great sense of loss. And it can be complicated for people with their grief because they can also feel great guilt, um, which is very common when people lose a loved one in that they feel that they wish they had done something differently, like maybe they had spent more time with them, talked to them, told them something. And so with mediumship, it seems to be a really great gift to be able to still communicate with those loved ones. Yes, yes, I think so. And, you know, something that I have really wrestled with a lot in my, my career as a medium is why certain people come through from spirit and why some don't, why some living people don't feel the presence of their loved ones in spirit around, even though they had a very close relationship. And I think it helps for somebody to explore those questions for themselves and not feel powerless or helpless that I personally cannot help them. You know, human relationships are really bizarre and very unique and different, even amongst the living. You know, it's like when you meet somebody, maybe you hit it off right away and you become good friends, or maybe it's just like, well, more power to you, but you're not really my sort of person. And I really think that it's like that in the spirit world as well. And and I think there's other complicated factors. Like I don't think necessarily everybody wants to communicate from spirit. I don't think necessarily that everybody can. You know, each human being is unique and will never ever be repeated. And so who's to say 
that the way in which they make their way into the spirit world is something that is replicable or repeated or consistent or follows some kind of very precise formula or schematic. And for all of these re reasons, you know, it can make people's grief a little bit more complex because they think, why is this person that I adored and who adored me not coming to me in this reading or through this medium? And I really hope that with what I share in the book, it can empower people to explore different ways of understanding their loved ones in spirit, understanding their own grief, understanding that bond and the different ways that that bond can take place. You know, sometimes it is through an act of communication with a medium. Sometimes it's through your dreams. Sometimes it's through meditation. Sometimes it's through you reaching out to them, you know, sort of like in a visualization or something like that. But also it's about, well, if those things don't happen, it's not your fault. And it doesn't mean that you're not loved. And it doesn't mean they didn't care about you. There's just all kinds of reasons why sometimes that connection is more has more oomph than others. And I really do think that that is an important point because one of the things that I do even now struggle with in my career is that the greatest need does not always mean the greatest message. And when people come with great pain and great sorrow and greatly in need of a message that I wish I could give them, that isn't always there and it isn't always possible. And so through the book, I wanted to empower them with some ways to sort of explore it themselves and not be dependent on me, who's just only human. I'm glad that you're thinking about all of these components because some mediums might claim that they can always get messages and it sounds like you're very present with who and what is coming forward. Sometimes our loved ones can come to us in visions. Sometimes people see people as though they're, quote, physical. I just had a few days ago my own mother who passed just under a year ago from a long uh, journey with Alzheimer's. She came to me in a dream, and it was a what I would call a visitation in that it felt more real than real or just as real as we are here in this physical world. And... I actually trained with a psychic medium for many years, uh, working as an intuitive myself. And I noticed that as my intuition grew with healing work, that those mediumistic abilities just spontaneously started happening. And in your book, you talk about how love plays a central role and positive feelings in order to develop your mediumistic abilities. Do you, can you say a little bit more about that? Sure. First of all, I'm sorry for your loss. You know, even when we know that the spirit world's a reality and we're confident in that, and even when we know that somebody was ready to transition and, you know, be be at peace and be at one with themselves, it doesn't make the human part any easier. So I just want to acknowledge that. The grief is still very real, even among um, people like us, Amy. Um, so love does play an important role I mean, for me, like I say, that it might be different for other mediums. I can only speak from my own point of view and how I teach it to my own mediumship students and, and what seems to work for them to get results. You know, there are some mediums out there who are very curt and not what you would call compassionate or loving, who are unbelievable evidential mediums. I've met some myself who can tell you that your grand's name was Judy, you know, Burns and she lived at 5 Cherry Tree Avenue and they can really come forward with all this great evidence but the emotional component is lacking you know the the meaning the connection the embodiment the sense of all of the ships being lifted at once lacks sometimes in those style of messages 
Um, and so I think it really is just horses for courses. There's different styles of mediums and different types of mediumship. And mine is very much about the relationship between the sitter and the person in spirit because that's what matters to them. You know, I'm just here on behalf of what matters to, to you and what matters to them. And repeatedly, that is what they want to talk about through me or that's what they're, they're capable of talking about through me is whatever is about love. You know, love that is sweet and innocent and childlike, love that is angry and difficult and needs forgiveness, love that was withheld or unrequited, love that makes you laugh about the little weird things that your friends and family and spirit used to do. You know, this is, this is what comes naturally to me. And so I think that the people who want to work with me in spirit are attracted to me because of that. And so because that's the only way that I know, that is how I teach it to my own students. So I think whether you want to connect with your own loved ones in spirit or whether you are interested in developing your mediumship, for me, love is really the key. And it's almost like playing an instrument and you're the instrument as the medium. And love is like tuning love tunes you to a frequency or a harmony that sounds good you know a guitar or a piano that's out of tune you're like oh you know stop please but a guitar or a piano that's in tune you're just like yes like give me this music give me these chords this is moving me this is making me cry this is beautiful and so love for me is what tunes you as the instrument of of spirit essentially the instrument of mediumship to sound the way that moves people and what I mean by that is loving yourself and your own life and taking actions towards love, stopping doing the things that you recognise move you away from love, putting yourself more in situations that promote loving feelings in your life, whatever that means to you, and permitting yourself to step away from situations that drain you of love. And sometimes these things can be hard and they can be tricky and they can be not what you expect. You know, sometimes just paying your taxes is an act of love. Tidying your mess, you know, that's been in that cupboard for 10 years is an act of love. You know, having a hard conversation with somebody who you adore, but you're just not on the same page. And so you need to have them have an appropriate place in your life because of that is an act of love. And so it can get really, really gnarly but all of it serves your mediumship because all of it serves to attune you more to that energy of essentially enthusiasm and that flow of love and joy that I've found to be so central to a really consistent, detailed, accurate, meaningful mediumship message. Right. And you say in your book that becoming uh, more connected to the spirit world is really a journey from fear to love. And I really like that because I think that that highlights uh gives kind of gives people a course to take to move forward in order to connect with their loved ones yeah and i do find that to be still true i still believe that you know there's a spectrum of emotion and emotion is the signifier of a relationship between two things and so if you're focused on what is fearful or what you should be afraid of or what has hurt you it just aligns you to a certain sort of experience of reality that in my experience is not where the style of mediumship is that I would like to do. Or maybe it's not where mediumship is at all because fear by its definition is about a 
negative, I guess, if you'd want to call it, or hurtful or disconnected relationship with other. You know, it is still a relationship. It's still how you relate to that other being, that other consciousness, that other person, you know, even just the world around you. But it's on such a frequency of saying, I need to be wary of this, or this has got the potential to hurt me. This can and will hurt me. I should move away from this. This is not a safe way to be. And so it has by its very nature disconnection built in, you know, kind of baked into it. And disconnection is sort of the antithesis of what we're going for with healthy, accurate, detailed, loving mediumship. And so if you have that sort of lens clicked over your life and that's how you're seeing the world and everything looks like it's through this lens of fear, I think you're going to struggle with mediumship. And so the best thing you can do is be like, how can I move away from this lens and start clicking? Even the lens of being a little angry is better than being properly traumatized or terrified. Then upwards on that scale, you've got just sort of neutral. I'm okay. I'm fine. And then you've got, oh, this is, you know, this is nice. This is pretty good. I'm feeling pretty connected to the world and we're, we're in tune and, and it's, it's good. And then as you move up that scale, the closer you're getting towards like real love, and being able to see through things and past things that are, you know, the little foibles that people have, or when something goes a bit wrong, you're just like, ah, well, it's fine. You know, it's love for me is really quite a peaceful, accepting, open, you know, non, it's just like, ah, well, it's sort of a shrug. It's akin to peace, I would say. So right up that zone of like joy, peace, love, enthusiasm, you're going to have a better time in your mediumship. I would say that's true as well a lot of the time of wanting a message directly from your own loved ones and not just as a practicing medium is working ironically away from your grief and towards something resembling you know love again. In your book you describe how people not only can move from fear to love to connect with their loved ones you also mention how important it is for a medium to feel good and the cover of your book has Manolo's on there. Could you describe why you put those on the cover of your book and why you call yourself the medium in Manolo's? So the medium in Manolo's, you know, I don't know if I would call it that again, because, <laughs> you know, I wanted to, I wanted to target women who were like me. And I grew up on a steady diet of sex in the city. I'm of that generation, you know, millennial. And literally growing up, I felt like Carrie Bradshaw was one of my dearest friends. And I always felt like I wanted to be the Carrie Bradshaw of spirituality. I loved fashion. I wanted to be a writer, which obviously I accomplished. You know, I have this really sort of wacky way of being in the world. And I do love Manolo's. I love like beautiful clothes and beautiful shoes. And, and so really, I wanted to, to speak to that younger millennial medium who maybe felt like, you know, a kind of slightly more old-fashioned spiritualist church wasn't their jam and who maybe felt a bit alienated from mediumship because of that because they felt like it was like an older person's thing or you know something that you, you do in a spiritualist church that really just wasn't their scene but in hindsight you know the the market size of someone who likes Manolo's and mediumship turns out to be a market size of one it's just me <laughs> And so, you know, I, I, I'm happy that I captured that vibe with the title, but also it wasn't exactly the greatest marketing choice. Also, I didn't mean to exclude the men either, which in hindsight, you know, there, there, I didn't have exposure to as many boys or men in my life who were interested in mediumship. It was all women everywhere I went. So I didn't really think about that at the time, but I do still stand by it insofar as 
the medium in Manolo's is really about you being able to be a medium and all of the other things that you are because mediums are are pariahs in some circumstances you know mediums take a lot of flack off of people and take a really hard time off of people and a lot of the time we feel like we can't be a medium and love fashion or we can't be a medium and make money you know we can't be a medium and be young and hip and this is reflective of a deeper sense of like we can't be grieving and have lost someone and still want to live richly and live deeply and, and love our life you know there's this idea that we have to pick this one side or the other and so with that title i really wanted to capture that it can be both it can be all and in fact to be a great medium or to heal from grief you have to be and own and accept every part of yourself and bring them all to, to play and, and bring them all to bear. You know, so often you'll hear mediums coming out of certain spiritualist organisations where they just sound like a carbon copy of their tutor. You know who they tutored with by the sorts of things that they say or the the sort of vernacular of mediumship has certain phrases and certain things and certain ways of, of talking about things and you know it becomes a bit stagnant and I wanted to have this title of the medium in Manolos to be like no like if you come out of your spiritualist organization sounding like your tutor you're doing it wrong you should be sounding like the person in spirit that you're communicating with blended with your own personality and your own take on things and so I really wanted to use the title of the medium in Manolos to point out the fact that it should be you and spirit together making this happen. And whoever your tutor or your organization or anyone else that you have exposure to way, way last, you know, way, way down the list. And so try to capture all of that in as few words as possible. <laughs> oh, I think you did a great job. And I think it's a fresh title. I think that it's inviting and Sex in the City has a huge <laughs> uh, audience as well. And you're bringing it into modern times and and making it yourself, which is what you encourage people to do. When a person passes, a loved one, let's say that a person listening, their loved one died, who might have been their spouse, their partner, their lover, and they may be wondering, does my loved one in the spirit world, can they see me when I'm in bed? Are they okay if I take another lover? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, uh, in Scotland, my audiences have always had a sense of humour and I've quite often be asked, can they see us like on the toilet or like in the shower or when we're in bed and stuff? And and obviously there is this feeling of when I die and I go to the spirit world, which of my husbands am I going to see or which of my husbands am I going to be with? And, you know, that is very much the human part of us, the embodied part of us having difficulty understanding how we would relate to the relationships that we've had not embodied like not in a body so i guess from my experience the answer is to whether your loved ones in spirit can see you is both yes and no they can see you insofar as they're part of the great intelligence of all that is you know they they were born and they became an ice cube so imagine when you're born you solidify into a form and it's like this blank consciousness has been poured in that's the water and as you solidify and you grow up and you grow in your human nature and you become colored and shaped by all the different experiences that you have and then when you die you're popped out of the ice cube tray that shaped you and so 
right away you start to sort of mel and blend and become part of all that is again and so it's not like they're standing on a cloud in their human form being like Barbara I thought you said you were never going to marry again how dare you <laughs> you know but at the same time they are aware and for me, that awareness is very much bound up in love again. And so what we don't have when we go to the spirit world or the um, need to, uh, to, to, to dominate or to, you know, have guilt or shame or anything like that. And so it very much is about, um, yes, they can see, but not in the way you think. What happens with our loved ones in the afterlife? Where do people go? That's a great question and I don't have all the answers. You know, as I say to me, water is the best analogy of how relationships and consciousness and personalities behave, both when they're born and then when they exist in a human form and then when we go into the spirit world. And I really believe that depending on the conditions in the spirit world, which I don't know what they are for each individual person, some people some people tend to hold their form, like their ice cube shaped human form, their own memories and their personality and their ability to communicate and their desire and willingness to do so. Some people tend to hold that form better and for longer than others for reasons that I don't quite know or understand. And so I think when we die, we're both on our individual journey and a collective journey to return into all that is. And I think that there's multiple layers and multiple levels that different things happen to us. So I think in one sense, the the particles or the waveforms that make up our consciousness eventually become blank again and we become recycled. And for me, that's what reincarnation is. You know, that, that consciousness becomes recycled into a new being. But I do also think there's another layer of reality in which everything that we went through and the ways that we shaped the world and how we loved people is infinite. It can never be undone. You know, it's like the, the dominoes that have started to fall as a result of the actions that we took and the things that we said and didn't say and the loyalty that we showed or the forgiveness that we showed, all of those dominoes fall throughout all of time. So I think that when we die, there's different layers and it's only when we die that we actually are able to sort of perceive or participate in how deep those layers actually go and that on each different layer of existence there's something slightly different happening there. I mean that is the only way I can think to explain the wide variety of unbelievable incredible experiences that I've had that my clients have had but also like I say at the same time why it seems that sometimes those experiences are not as forthcoming you know, it's not like I can just connect to anyone and everyone with the same degree of accuracy in the spirit world. I don't know about other mediums, but I personally can't. And, you know, sometimes I'll call out to a person in spirit the way I know to do. And a lot of the time the, the person's there, they come forward and they start working with me. But a lot of the times also they're not. And I really believe that there's a zone of communication that we can be in in the spirit world where we can communicate with our loved ones that are still here. And I think that we also do ascend that zone eventually, the same way that we ascend the zone of the embodied life that we're in right now. And beyond that, I'm not really sure. Well, honest answer. And you submitted an essay in 2021 to the Bigelow Institute for Consciousness Study on the continuation of consciousness in the afterlife after permanent bodily death. 
and yes. Jeffrey Mishlove, who is the primary host and producer of New Thinking Aloud, won first place, and Pim Van Lammel won second place, and Leo Rookby won third place. And you can re read all of those fantastic essays, the winning essays, at the Bigelow Institute for Consciousness Studies website at bigelowinstitute.org. And Lauren, in your book and in your essay, you shared a story of a woman named Judy. Could you share that story with us about how you kept getting no's when you were looking for validation on if you were on the right track in your session with her? Yeah, Jeffrey, as you said, won the essay competition, which I was absolutely thrilled for him, a very well-deserved winner. Um, sadly, my essay did not win a prize. However, it has opened tons of doors for me and it's had loads and loads of interest, including obviously this amazing experience with you just now, Emmy, and being on this channel. So I'm really glad that I wrote it anyway. So yes, the story with Judy is really one of those readings. Like every medium has miracle moments. Like that's how we think of them. You, not every single reading that you do is touched by the miraculous, but it's the ones that are that make it worth doing. And this reading with Judy was one such reading that was touched by the miraculous that leads me to believe that we do transcend death and that the information that is coming through in readings is not explainable simply by parlour tricks that magicians can replicate and nor is it even explainable by really well thought out arguments that it's simply telepathy among the living that's synthesising this experience that it's the deceased communicator when actually it's all just information that's happening in the mind of, of the sitter um, and the medium and so what happened with Judy was that, so there was a breast cancer charity in Glasgow, which obviously I had a really uh, strong bond with because my gran had passed of breast cancer and they reached out to me and asked if I would be willing to submit a one-to-one -one reading as a prize for a raffle. And so I said that I would. So they made up the certificate and everything. I had no further contact with them. I didn't go to the event. I didn't know who won it. I had no contact with anybody at the event until one day a lady phoned and said that she had won the reading with me in the raffle and could she come for a reading and so I booked her in and she came to my apartment in Glasgow and she was a really nice polished woman she had a short haircut and a really nice dress on and she had red lipstick on she looked lovely she came in and she sat down for her reading and basically I asked her her name and if she was comfortable and if she'd like a glass of water and basically asking her if she would like a glass of water was the only yes that I got for the entire reading. Her reading was a complete disaster from start to finish. Now I always record my clients sittings and I had pressed record on the uh, on, on, on my phone so I could record it for her. And so I was giving her this message. I alleged that her father had died, that he was in spirit, that he was saying all of this stuff to me. And she was just saying no, no, no to everything. And this went on for about half an hour of absolute torture. And by the end of it, I was exhausted and I put the recording off and I said, Judy, I'm so sorry. This is a disaster. If you had paid for this reading, I would have given you a refund. And you know, off she went and that was that. And I obviously never thought I would hear from her again. It's one of those readings that you would rather just forget ever happened. But three months later, I got a phone call from a number that I didn't recognise and I picked up the phone and it was a voice that I didn't recognise. And she said, 
it's, it's Judy, I'd like to come and see you again for a reading, I need to talk to you. And so she, I, I was obviously shocked, and so she, she came, she booked the appointment, and she came for another reading, and she sat down and told me, I can barely get through this story without crying even now. It's just, when I'm having a horrible day, this is the story I think about, just to remind myself that, you know, God is good and there's love in the world. Anyway, so she, she came in and she sat down and, and she told me that for 40 years, she had been searching for her birth mother because she was adopted. And so she had no clue where she was from, who her family was, where her birth mother was. Her adopted family had all passed away. And so she had nobody that she could ask. So she had been on this completely blind search for her birth mother for 40 years with absolutely no leads, no one to follow. She was desperate and she was at her wit's end. And she said that she'd listened back to the audio recording and something that I had said on behalf of her alleged father had just given her this hunch for where to look. And she described it exactly like we talked about, like the synchronicity, you know, that feeling of just the tingles and the awe and this feeling of like, this is a signpost. I'm supposed to be pursuing this. So she described it like that, that feeling of synchronicity, that something I had said in the reading had given her a clue for where to look. And she had followed the hunch. And after a 40 year search with no leads, she had found her birth mother in the time in between when we had had that reading in that three month period and they had reconciled and she was due to spend her first Christmas with her mum who she was essentially meeting for the first time and I remember it like it was yesterday she and I like were holding each other jumping up and down in my living room and like cuddling each other going oh my god oh my god because it was a miracle. It was an actual miracle. It was nothing to do with me. I thought the reading was a disaster. I didn't know who her father was in spirit that allegedly knew all of this stuff. And yet somehow this information had completely short-circuited the fact that I had no clue she was adopted. It never came up in the reading. It had short-circuited the fact that she didn't know who her dad was and had no clue whatsoever where she had come from. And yet, the information somehow that led her back to her birth mother had come from a man in the spirit world who, you know, it turned out that her dad in fact was in spirit and had passed. And for me, that's just an example of without the presence of that man, somehow, some way, how could that have been possible with just my mind and just Judy's mind? Because the information wasn't there. I didn't know she was adopted. I didn't say anything to help her find her birth mother consciously. She didn't have a clue where her birth mother was or, or anything that I had said. She answered no to everything. And so somebody else was present in that reading that knew about Judy's need and knew she needed an answer to that question. And it wasn't me and it wasn't Judy. And whoever it was loved her enough to give her the answer that she was seeking. And it worked out. And if I die tomorrow, I die knowing that I got to participate in a miracle in a way that changed somebody's life. So, yeah. It is a wonderful story and excellent work, Lauren. And that's really what you described in your essay was that you took the position of trying to disprove your mediumistic abilities. And what you just said there that you feel that it isn't just this one mind that maybe Larry Dossey refers to in his book, although maybe that's part of it, but that you feel that there really is another consciousness, another being uh, 
in addition to you and Judy, for example, who help connect you to that actual individual spirit? Yes, I think that selfhood is not what we think it is and that somehow selves can both make it to the spirit world intact and be a greater part of all that is. I don't know how, I don't know what the mechanism is, but I don't think that it's just a field of awareness because the, the feeling and the sensation that I get is that they come, they have personalities, they chat and then they go away. And if they don't come, then I can't do it. And if they decide to go away halfway through the reading, I can't make them be there. And so there seems to be the factors of what we would call consciousness there, you know, agency, uh, the ability to have a desire and to fulfill that desire. You know, her father came, gave this information, the information was right, it had real world effects, and then he went away again. And so it isn't just the case that it's a, a kind of flat, dead information field that I'm able to just access on a whim and deliver this consistent product, essentially, or this consistent, you know, insight. It's not like that. It's got a dynamism that's more akin to engaging with a personality. Uh, the same way there's a dynamism in engaging with a human embodied personality. And something happened recently that just goes to show this again. I was on another podcast and the woman who runs the podcast asked me off, I didn't know she was going to ask me just on a whim. She said, would you do a reading for me so that I can share it with my Patreon subscribers and give them a sort of behind the scenes little bit extra? And I agreed. And our reading began and right away I felt this reading is not for her. There was a man with me in spirit and he wanted to speak to this lady's husband. I didn't even know she had a husband. I knew nothing about her, but I knew that this man was for him and not her. And so it wouldn't be in my interest to sit there, you know, and sabotage essentially the reading of the host and not give her the reading that she wants if that was at all under my control. It's not at all under my control. There's a self that comes that has the opportunity to speak. They do that and then they go away. And so she went and got her husband and it turned out that there was really specific memories that came through. In the man in spirit named his own son and asked her husband if he would go and check up on him and make sure he's okay. Like this really detailed dynamic sense of this personality belonging to this man, her husband, belonging to his life, speaking to his life. And you know, if I was just accessing a field of information that was under my control to do, I would not have chosen to not give the podcast host a reading. And I don't know how else to put it, except that someone else is making that decision. It isn't me. I'm just the mouthpiece. I'm just the medium. Yeah, that's a very fair argument. And that's what you describe in your essay. And that's an example of why there isn't living agent sigh, which some people will argue against mediumship and say, that it's really just telepathy and you're picking up on the person who's in front of you and their consciousness and their memories. But you're saying there's another consciousness involved. Yes. And finally, I just want to highlight that mediumship also has this great gift of helping us all to stop fearing death. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you don't need to fear death anyway. You didn't fear being born and nature the universe will take care of you in the same way when you die. And if you choose to believe that nothing happens when you die, then who cares? You know, when you die, you won't know any different. It's not like you're going to be conscious of an, an oblivion forever. It's not like that. There will just be, be nothing to be conscious of. 
If, however, we do survive death in some form, it's a form in which everybody has gone through it, all the people and animals that you've ever loved, the planet has gone through it many times, you know, many uh, categories of animals have all become extinct at once, you know, that everybody has gone through death. But where mediumship can show us is that it's not goodbye forever. It's not something that you have to worry about. It's not something where you're stuck on a cloud. There's a sense in which you have agency as to how you want to exist when you die. If you want to stick around and be close to your loved ones, you seem to have the choice and ability to do that. If you want to, you know, go into a healing zone where you don't communicate with people because you had a hard time of it on this roller coaster this time around, then it seems to me that you get to choose to do that as well. And, you know, maybe it's the case that all of those things are true. And if you want to choose to, to not retain selfhood, then you can choose that as well. Like I said, I don't know all the answers, but what I do know is that you don't have to worry. There's nothing to worry about. You only need to worry about dying as much as you had to worry about being born. That was neither up to you, nor was there anything you could do about it then, and there won't be when you pass either. Um, that might sound a bit grim, but I hope you take comfort from it. <laughs> That's your moment to just take your hands off the steering wheel. And um, and whatever awaits you on the other side, my feeling is that it's underpinned by love. Lauren, is there anything else you would like to share before we wind down? Just what I said about see for yourself. You know, if you have been having weird dreams about your loved ones in spirit that seem to have a realer than real aspect to them, if you have been having strange synchronicities where you can't shake off the feeling that it's more than a coincidence, if you seem to know things about people that are true before you should know them, or you seem to know things about people who have died before you should know them, just turn your attention and your awareness to those parts of yourself. The world that we live in today would have you believe that you're alone, that you're separated from others, that you're small, that the life you have here and going to work and sitting in traffic and making money is all you have. But there's a part of you that's trying to get your attention to tell you that you are so much more than that, that we are all so much more than that. And it's going to take a critical mass of us paying attention to that part of ourselves and not dismissing it as the world would have us do for its own reasons but instead turning our attention to it and our focus on it and saying who could we be and what could we be if it's in fact true that we're this connected, this powerful and this capable of love and understanding of each other. And if more love and more empowerment and more understanding is something that you would like to have more of in your life, then I believe your connection to the spirit world is a way that you can explore that. So crack it open. You know, if it's a, a little kindling flame, blow on it a little, give it some attention, ignite it, follow your curiosity with that part of yourself. And my hope is that it will increase the love, the sense of empowerment and, and connection in your life if you do. Beautiful, Lauren. Thank you so much for being with me, Lauren. Thanks so much for having me, Amy. Thank you. And for those of you listening or watching, thank you for being with us. Thank you.